You can open up to Luke chapter 18 as we uh, continue through the book of Luke. Uh, we've taught uh, the entire New Testament. This is the last book of the New Testament. And then online we'll have all the New Testament teachings. And, you know, you could call the message today a heartfelt, humble prayer, but um, we just called it humble prayer. And so Luke 18, if you uh, will open there, and we'll just look back at Luke 18.1. We read that um, the, the, the parable a couple of weeks ago when we were together, that uh, Jesus spoke to them this parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And we'll just keep that up for a minute. It is interesting what happens when we stop praying. Pray, praying is like, for the believer, it's like breathing physically. And uh, Jesus taught us that our, our lives are to be in constant communication with the Lord. We want to learn to just be praying about everything that we're going through in life. To be talking to God constantly. But when we stop praying, and sometimes even as believers, we we think we're still praying. We, we talk like we're still praying, but we've really lost that intimate prayer life with God. And what ends up happening is uh, we grow cowardly in our walk with the Lord. We, we end up uh, faint. Instead of being bold and courageous and walking what God has for us, we get cowardly. We, we get faint. We, we find ourselves just spiritually, just barely hanging on by a thread. We're weary. We lose heart. We, we give up. We give up on, on dreams. We give up on battles that we're fighting. We give up on people. And I think going into a new year, it's just such a good thing to have the words of Jesus before us, like, like prayer. I, I, going into 2024, if there's anything that there needs to be more of in my life, I need to pray more. I need to give more place for prayer. And you can bring up the humble Slide. It's interesting that we're listening to Jesus teaching that we're going into the week of humble. Some of you uh, don't know what that is. We're going to be talking about it all month. Uh, but it probably will take some planning now if you're going to be part of that 6 a.m. prayer, noon prayer, evening prayer. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of people from this body will be part of this all week. And it's, you know, I don't know what you're, what, how you're going into the new year, but if you're going into the new year, uh, and you feel weary, and you, you feel, you know, like you're just shrinking back as a follower of God, and you're giving up, I think a week of prayer could be just what the doctor ordered. Could be just what your soul is needing to go into the new year. Well, uh, we come to another parable, Luke uh, 18. We're actually going to start in verse 9 this morning, and uh, Jesus speaks this parable. A parable, and it's about a humble prayer. Interesting that where we're at in the Bible is talking about prayer so much when we're going into a week of prayer. Humble prayer. And, and you know what? I love, um, I love, this is our 15th year. And I, uh, those of you that are newer to the church, you might not know it. Do you know that everything in this church can stop this week of humble, and anything could start. It's just everything is going to be laid bare before Lord. Lord, do you want to change anything? 
Do you want to stop anything? Do you want to start anything? You know, a lot of times the reason churches don't have more ministry is because there aren't people to lead those ministries. So it's always exciting. Anything could start. It's amazing the percentage of missionaries that have gone out from this church. They heard the call of God during the week of prayer and fasting. It's amazing how many leaders in this church. It goes back to the, what they're doing in this church. It goes back to the week of prayer and fasting. And I, I, do, um, I do think that's something you want to be praying personally. Lord, is there anything you want as I go into this new year to stop? Is there anything you want to start in my life? And, and I do have another question before uh, we move to verse 9 that's been in my heart this week. And I, it, is a, it is a strong question. And, I, and I'm not going to answer it for you. And, I want, and I'm going to share it with you a couple times this month. I want you to be thinking about it. Do you just attend church here? Or is this your church? Well, uh, what's, what's the difference? I, I don't know. What's the difference? I'd like you to think about it. What's the difference between you just attending church here and no, this is my church? I, I'd like you to answer that. I'd like you to ponder that. I'd like you to think on it this month. Maybe even the week of prayer and fasting. Is this, do I just attend here or is this my church? What would it look like if I just attend here? I don't know. How would you answer that? What would it look like if this was my church? So just a question that we're going to ponder the month of January as uh, we go into this uh, year together. A year of more that God has for us. Let's read Luke 18.9. He spoke this parable to some... Who are the some? We'll, we'll find out. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. The, the some that Jesus is addressing here is in context is the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees in Jesus' day trusted in themselves to be righteous. We'll put it up on the screen. To trust in yourself to be righteous is another way of saying that they were self-righteous. I'm righteous because what I do. And that's how the Pharisees saw themselves. They saw themselves as righteous. And Jesus is addressing some who they were trusting in themselves, these Pharisees, the religious leaders, and they were despising others. You know, what's interesting about uh, Jesus addressing the Pharisees here is Paul was once a Pharisee, as you read the New Testament. And, and Paul talks about this in Philippians 3. He talks about how uh, he was circumcised on the eighth day, super self-righteous. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not a Hebrew living a Greek life. I'm a Hebrew living a Hebrew life in the world, living for God. And um, he, he talked about how I'm a Pharisee. Pharisee means separated one. Um, of the tribe of Benjamin, the kingly tribe. And Paul saw himself as just very self-righteous. And he said this. He said, concerning the law of God, I'm faultless. Like totally right with God. When it comes, blameless, some Bibles translate it. When it comes to 
being righteous before God, I'm blameless. I'm do, I'm doing. Do, do, do equals, in the Pharisees' mind, righteousness. But what Paul learned that all of his doing was really do-do. It was really manure. Paul came to realize, he says in that chapter, I've come to realize that compared to the righteousness that Christ gives me, all, I've come to realize all my own righteousness is just manure. I was actually, I thought I was right before God. I was actually clothed in offensive-smelling manure is what my self-righteousness was. When uh, Paul, we asked the question, what happened to Paul? And if you know Paul's story, you know the Damascus Road. And Paul saw Jesus in all of his glory. Hey, Paul says it was brighter than the sun. And when Paul saw himself in all of his glory, Isaiah 64, 6 came true to Paul. That we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, that's our self-righteousness, is really like filthy rags. If you think you can be good enough to be righteous and right with God, the reality is everything you're clothing yourself in, God sees as filthy rags. And that the Pharisees interpreted the law, that Paul would say concerning the law, I'm blameless. The Pharisees interpreted the law as being outward, their outward behavior. And therefore, they thought they were doing it. It's all outward behavior. I don't do any bad outward behavior. Therefore, I'm righteous. But that was the wrong interpretation. When Jesus came on the scene and preached, he, he taught them that the law was not just physical. The law is spiritual. And he said things like, uh, you've heard it said, you should not murder. And every Pharisee would say, yeah, I'm, I'm blameless. I've never murdered anyone. And Jesus would said to them, well, I say to you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. It's not just physical. It governs, it's spiritual. It governs your heart. And, and Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And the, the Pharisee would say, yeah, I'm righteous. I don't, I've never been an adulterer. And Jesus says, yeah, but if you look in your heart, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart or a man with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. It's not just the outward behavior. It's the, it's the law is spiritual. And Paul was even able to articulate in Romans 3.19, and we'll pull it up, that we know whatever the law says, it says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. That's the purpose of the law. That when you put your life next to the law, it doesn't show you that you're self-righteous. It shows you, you there's a problem. It shows you you're separated from a holy God. There's sin in the way. And as we read uh, Paul's writings, he says this in the New Testament, talking about this. He says, Galatians 3.24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Right? The law is like a school teacher, and the law helps you put your life 
the, the law being a tutor helps you put your life next to the law. And the, the tutor, the school teacher, shows you, have no other gods before God? Have you ever had anything in your life before God? You're like, yep, well, you've sinned. And, and that's a problem between you and, you and God. Have you ever had any idols in your life? Second commandment? Yeah, I have. Well, that, that's a problem. That's separating you from a holy, perfect God. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Oh, I, I have actually taken his name in vain. That's a problem for you. That's sin. Have you ever dishonored your mother and father? Okay, we're, okay we're, now we know we're all sinners, right? Have you ever murdered or, as Jesus said, hated? You're a sinner. Have you ever lusted or committed adultery or, as Jesus taught, lusted? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever lied? You know, as Paul was going through this and he thought that he was right, he faultless before God, he said it's that uh, commandment in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. That's, that's what got him. That's when he realized I'm interpreting the law the wrong way because coveting is not outward behavior. Coveting's the heart. And if you've ever coveted what someone else has, that's sin. And so the law is a tutor to to show you that you're a sinner and to show you I need to be saved and if you'll turn to Christ you can be justified. Now that's a, a term we're going to talk about that today that is a legal declaration when the sinner turns to Christ God takes all of your sinful record and puts it on Jesus at the cross and he takes Jesus's perfect record For 33 years, he kept every commandment of God perfectly. And justification means God puts that righteousness in your account. And that I want you to ask yourself, have I been justified by faith? Have I turned to Christ in such a way that I know all my sin has been paid for and Christ's righteousness is in my account? You know, that's the most beautiful thing. When that happens to you, you get to get off of the hamster wheel of always trying to be good enough and do enough and do enough. And you can't do enough. Christ did it for you. That's why he cried out at the cross, it is finished. He finished the work for you that you can be right with God. And that would be a a huge question going into 2024. Have you been justified? We're going to read about justification as we keep reading here. And so uh, verse 9, he spoke to some, the Pharisees, who trusted in themselves that they, they spoke this parable. They were trusting in themselves that they were righteous, and they ended up despising others. And a part of self-righteousness is comparing ourselves to others. We, we feel righteous because we're, well, we're, I'm doing better than them. And we, we end up co- com- coming to the conclusion that we're righteous because we're comparing ourselves. And sometimes even as the scribes and Pharisees, they were despising others. And there's no one that the Pharisees despised more than tax collectors. They were traitors. They were working with Rome. They were seen as unredeemable. They could never be saved. And so it's interesting, the story that Jesus tells. Here's the parable. Verse 10. Two men, he tells this so the Pharisees will hear it. 
two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So also you want to keep in your mind, you know, we hear this and we know that the Pharisees aren't the heroes in the story. In the New Testament times, nobody was more righteous than the Pharisees. They were, the, the Pharisee means separated to God. They were separated to God, and no one was more sinful than the tax collectors. People just despised them. And so Jesus tells this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. It's interesting as we understand uh, how the people saw the Pharisees. Listen what it sounded like when Jesus preached. This was the Sermon on the Mount, and when Jesus said this, his disciples could hardly believe what they were hearing. And we'll put it up, Matthew 5.20. He says, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, there's no way you're ever going to go to heaven. Wait, are right? No, that's impossible. Nobody's more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. These guys are completely separated to God. They, they've counted 613 commandments. 248 do's, 365 do nots. And every day they're trying to keep all of those commandments. And not only did, did they keep every single commandment, to just give you an idea of how self-righteous they were, when they bought, bought their salt and pepper and spices, they even tithed on their spices. Every 10 grains of salt, one grain is God's. And so when Jesus says your righteousness, and bring it back where it says it needs to exceed Unless your righteousness exceeds. And so those listening to Jesus were thinking, how could anyone be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees? It's impossible for any of us to enter the kingdom of heaven. But then as he kept preaching, he even made it more impossible. Because he said this a couple verses later in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 5.48, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. So let me ask you the question, are you perfect? Because you can't have fellowship with God unless you're perfect. And all of a sudden you realize, yeah, there's a problem. There's a big problem. No, I'm not more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees if you lived in the first century. And no, I'm certainly not perfect. And, and this was Jesus helping his listeners to understand there's a problem between you and God. It's a sin problem. And Paul would later write this in 1 Timothy, and I hope you know this verse. When we bring it up, I hope it's a sweet uh, sound to you, even as you hear it read. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. I hope you've accepted it. I hope you read this and you go, yep, I've accepted this. That Christ Jesus, Christ means Messiah, the Messiah Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. 
Yeah, I'm a sinner, and I now know Christ came. He came to take all my sin through putting my faith in him. A legal declaration takes place where God puts his righteousness in me. I'm justified. This is so interesting. Paul says, I've come to realize that. I'm not, I'm not without fault. I, I have sinned, and Paul's letters teach us that we've sinned. We're all, the law shows us that we're all guilty, and we need to accept Jesus that Christ's righteousness will be in our account. But I marvel at what Paul says here because this is at the end of his life. And Paul says, I'm not just a sinner. I'm, a, I'm the chief of sinners. And, and what Paul was realizing is, you know, the longer you walk with God and the closer you get to God, you don't feel better and better about yourself. That is in your own righteousness. What you discover is that I'm a lot worse than I thought I was. Man, I have a sin problem. I, my motives, the intent of my heart, my selfishness, my choices. The closer you get to God, you don't feel better about yourself. You realize how desperate you are for Jesus to save you. You realize how desperate you are to be in the light where the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all your sin. And, and Paul was realizing at the end of his life, I'm not only a sinner, I'm the chief of sinners. And it's only by grace we're saved that Paul ever thought he was self-righteous was the furthest thing from what he was thinking at the end of his life. But his righteousness was in Christ. And, and as we read our parable, we read about the Pharisee and the tax collector. We read about the Pharisee in verse 11. The Pharisee stood, just totally self-righteous, trusting in himself, and he prayed thus with himself. It is possible to be praying and not talking to God. Not only are you not talking to God, you're not listening to God. You're just really praying with yourself. You're just saying things out loud, and really, you're the only one talking and, and you're not in a communication with God. He's not able to talk with you. And this Pharisee was very religious, but all that was happening in his prayer life was he was praying with himself. And he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Right? Self-righteous. I'm righteous. I'm not like these other people that aren't righteous. He despises those that are sinful, extortioners or robbers, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. And again, as we've been saying, this Pharisee saw himself as righteous. These other people, they're not righteous. I'm righteous. And what's interesting about the parable is that the Pharisees were not righteous, but they didn't know it. I wonder if it's possible that you're not righteous, but you don't know it. You're trying to do and do and do but that doesn't make you righteous. It makes you filthy apart from Christ. It makes your life odious if that's how you're trying to be right with God. 2024, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be better this year. That's odious to God if you think that's going to make you right with him. 
Is it possible you've never trusted Christ in such a way that all of your sin has been removed and all of Christ's perfect righteousness has been put in your account and you've been declared righteous before God? Is it possible that hasn't happened to you? Could that not be the most, <laughs> the most beautiful point of your whole life if you were to allow that to happen in your heart this morning, if you were to turn to Christ in that way, that nothing in your hands you bring but simply to Christ you're going to cling, that you're finally right with God? And uh, this Pharisee goes on to say, not only do I thank you that I'm not like other men, but I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So what you see is this Pharisee had, as you study it, he had an eye problem. Right? Five times if you'll count it. Five times, I thank God that I'm not like. In verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And as we learn and as we've been talking about, we all have an eye problem. It's, it's called sin. And at the very center of sin is I. At the very, we all have a pride problem, Right? And at the very center of pride, it's I. And, and as we read of this uh, Pharisee praying, praying didn't make him righteous. We read about this Pharisee fasting. Fasting didn't make him right, righteous. Tithe, he tithed. Tithing doesn't make you righteous. Do you understand that when you're a sinful man or woman, doing doesn't take away your sin. No matter how good you are or kind or praying or giving or tithing, that doesn't solve your sin problem. That just makes you a sinner clothed in doo-doo. And you're doing and you're doing and you're doing, and it's odious to God. It doesn't create fellowship. It actually creates self-righteousness and at times even despising others. Now, it is biblical when this man talks about praying. Praying is central, and when Jesus is teaching us that we're to pray always. As this Pharisee talks about fasting, it's interesting that we're going into a month of, in which there's a week of prayer and fasting, and fasting is biblical. And uh, Jesus, when we listen to him, he said this, and we'll bring it up. It's Matthew 6. When you fast... Jesus says, don't disfigure your face and draw attention to yourself, how weak you are. But just fast. Deny yourself food, the physical. Seek your Father in heaven. If you'll just do that before your Father in heaven, your Father who sees what you're doing in secret will reward you openly. He'll, he'll bless you. But it, it's interesting. It's not if you fast, it's when you fast. But we also just want to say, going into a week of prayer and fasting, we don't fast to be more righteous. I'm not, I'm not in better standing with God because I'm fasting. I'm not earning something. We're righteous because of our faith in Christ. This uh, man, 
talked about his praying, his fasting, his tithing. It's interesting that tithing is biblical, and this is debated by many. And you can uh, come to your own conclusions as you talk about and study uh, New Testament giving. But we'll bring up on the, on the screen just a little diagram of fasting. What does that possibly mean? Rob Scribbles. When you talk about tithing, this Pharisee talked about tithing, tithing is taught in the law. And there's a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, I don't believe in that tithing in the New Testament. I believe in grace giving. Jesus has so graciously worked in my life and I give in response to grace. I agree with you. And, and there are those that say, oh, yeah, tithing is the law. We're not under the law. I agree with you. So what, what, are, what are Rob Scribbles? Tithing is actually taught before the law. It's all the way back in Abraham, Melchizedek, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, brings bread and wine to Abraham, and Abraham gives this Old Testament priest, this Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, he gives him 10% before the law. Jacob sees a ladder to heaven. The New Testament tells us it's Jesus. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And what did Jacob do in response to the dream of the ladder to heaven? He gave 10% to God. It's just so natural to, in response to Jesus to give 10% taught before the law. And then Matthew 23, 23, Jesus taught the tithe. And the way I see the tithe is the Old Testament says the tithe belongs to God. And, and I see uh, that that's just a starting point. If you haven't started giving to God, I don't know where you're at. And we're, we're talking about this with our own kids, just pleading with them to start giving something to God. Start at 10%. Grace giving will take you way past 10%. But you know, uh, you can only grow so much in your walk with the Lord that it's just words because at some point it has to be represented in your finances. I mean, I mean, I'm just being real with you. You can only grow so much before God has to deal with your finances. You can sing he's Lord of all, but not my finances. Right? If he's Lord of all, he's Lord of. It's the Greek word and the Hebrew word. It means all. Right? Every language, all. Lord, you're Lord of all. But again, when we talk about tithing, it doesn't make me more righteous or less righteous. You're not in bed. You're not now finally right with God that you start tithing. No, you're just missing out. We were just telling our kids, you know, the Old Testament says, if you're not tithing, you're robbing God. You're robbing him. And God, the only place in the Bible says, God says, put me to the test. And see if you don't start tithing, if I won't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out such blessing on you, you can't contain it. And we were just reasoning with our, one of our kids this week, just telling them, look at our lives. We just so want that for our kids that they'll learn to start giving that. You'll find God, you can't outgive God. He will just give back and give back. And that's Susie and I's whole lives as we've uh, chosen to give to God first in our lives and well, as we read this story, we read about this Pharisee and self-righteous, trusting in himself, praying with himself, I 
fast and I tithe. And then we see the, the tax collector in contrast. Verse 13, the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So here's the contrast. He stood, we'll bring it up on the screens, he stood afar off, right? He knew, he knew the tax collector, he knew he wasn't right with God. He knew there was a problem. He knew he couldn't come near to God. He was a sinner, he betrayed his country. He was greedy. He was living for himself. He, there was a problem. He stood afar off. He wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. Like, I can't, even, I can't even look to heaven. There's a problem. How could I ever pray to God when I'm such a sinful man? I can't pray to him. I, I, I can't be in relationship with him because of my sin. He beat his breast. And in the Greek language, he just kept beating it. And what he was doing and beating his breast, he's saying, God, there's a heart problem inside of me. There's a problem inside of me. There's sin inside of me. I can't, I can't know you. I can't come close to you. I can't turn my eyes to you. But then he prayed this prayer, which could be called the sinner's prayer. Some people are very critical of a sinner's prayer. Here you have a sinner's prayer in the Bible, and it is God, it's five words. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Or the, the word merciful is, in Greek, it's the word propitious. We don't use that word. It, propitious talks about God Removing his wrath. It could be translated, God, remove your wrath from me, the sinner. I know you're, you're a loving God. You're love, but you're also light. And as light, your light, your holiness, your wrath burns against my sin. You're going to judge me because of my sin. God, would you turn your wrath away from me, the sinner? And look what Jesus says in response to this prayer. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. You know, another way to remember justified, you probably have heard it many times, just as if I'd never sinned. Christ has taken all of my sin. He's put his righteousness in me now. Righteousness in me now before God, I'm just as if I've never sinned. I'm right with God. This man, Jesus tells us, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we'll bring it up on the screen that as we put it together, it's this humble prayer that led to this sinful man you could, again, you could say it's his heartfelt, right? Heartfelt, humble, Jesus tells us. Prayer. Asking God to turn away his wrath. God, be propitious. Be merciful. Take away the wrath that I deserve. And 
what we want to understand is ultimately this prayer is fulfilled in Jesus. Right? First John says, and just as we're wrapping up, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross to take the Father's wrath so you would never have to. You turn to him. He takes your sin. You're justified. He puts righteousness in your account. You're now right with the Father. But the Father's holy, and his wrath was vented on Jesus at the cross in your place. So you'd never have to face that wrath. And our message is it's not just a message for us. It's for every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. And then we'll read one last verse that just talks about this being fulfilled in Jesus. There was this church in Corinth. It's the most marvelous church. All kinds of sinful people from all kinds of sinful backgrounds were hearing the gospel and they were getting saved, and they were being washed, and they were being sanctified and set apart for God is what sanctified means, and justified. Let, let's read about what happened in this church. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Right? Self-righteous people won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's just manure. Unrighteous, if you're living an unrighteous life, You'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when we talk about an unrighteous life, don't, Paul says, don't be deceived. If you're, and this is talking about not someone falling into sin, but this is talking about habitual lifestyle. That this is what you're not to be deceived at, about. If you're someone living in sex before marriage as a lifestyle, don't be deceived. If you're an idolater, that God's not the God of your life, but you're living for something else, don't be deceived. If you're an adulterer and you're involved in a relationship outside of your marriage, if you're a homosexual, if you're a sodomite submitting yourself to homosexual acts, if you're practicing that lifestyle, if you're a thief, don't be deceived. You're living a life. You're actively ripping people off. You're covetous. You're a habitual drunkard. Uh, reveler is an interesting word. It could be translated abuser. You're a habitual abuser of another person. You're an extortioner. You're, you're robbing people. Don't be deceived. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. But listen how glorious this church was. And in a lot of ways, it speaks of all churches. It speaks of our church. And such were some of you, but you were washed. Why Jesus came? He, the last book of the Bible says we give glory to Jesus because he washed us in his blood, making us clean, making us free. You were washed you were sanctified. That means I'm now, I, I used to not be set apart for Jesus. I used to be doing my own thing, but now I'm set apart for Jesus. You were justified. 
You know, I think if I had five minutes left to live and I had one message to preach in the last five minutes of my life, I would preach on justification. Because through Jesus Christ, I've been justified. Righteousness is in my account. How does all that happen? It can only happen by the name of the Lord Jesus. He has to be the Lord of your life. Just being a name in your life doesn't sanctify you, doesn't wash you, doesn't justify you. But when he becomes the Lord, he changes your life and he does it by the Spirit of our God. Why don't we just bow our heads for a minute and we just let the Spirit of God have free course here today and just move freely. I know, I know he's been moving freely. We've been praying that the Holy Spirit... We, we, we were praying before the service that every single chair that you would experience a work of God's Spirit. And, and I want to encourage you to pray a prayer right now before we finish the morning, before we go to communion. It can be a prayer that leads into communion. But I want you to pray that prayer that if, if it's in your heart, pray a prayer that, Lord, Anything that you want to stop in my life, anything you want to start in my life, pray something along those lines going into the new year. Lord, anything you want to change, anything you want me to stop doing, not just right now, but Lord, even this month, would you show me? Maybe you could even pray that prayer that we're moving towards the week of prayer and fasting. You could pray a prayer that you want God to work in your life more. Maybe you could pray some type of prayer up going into this year that just says, God, I want more. I want you to work in more ways. I want more of what you have for me. I want more power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. Just what, what comes to your mind when you would ask for more? Would you be praying for, would you be willing to pray a prayer that God could have more of you? Lord, you've been working in my life, but I want more. Would you be willing to pray that? I want more of what you have for me. And just as we're uh, just studying these things together, is it possible that you're not right with God and you haven't known it? Is it possible you're a really good person, you're a kind person, you're a praying person, you're a giving person, you're a wonderful person, perhaps, but is it possible in the light of Jesus Christ this morning you would see that everything you're trying to do is just filthy rags? And that you need Christ? Is it possible that the light's going on for you like Paul where you would turn to him and say, say, Jesus, be my Lord. I turn to you. You could do that right where you sit. You could do that online. It has to be a heartfelt, humble prayer. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer. God, be propitious to me. God, turn away your wrath from me. Save me. 
God, there's a sin problem, and I realize it today. And, and, and if you've never been justified, let, let's take care of that right now. Why don't, right where you sit, let's, let's take care of that. That transaction can happen right where you sit. You can just pray, Jesus, I surrender to you as my Lord. And you could just pray that, save me, take, take all of my sin. He's the substitute. It's the great exchange the Bible talks about. He takes your sin and he puts his righteousness in your account. And if you don't know that's happened, just in your heart right now, say yes. Just say that. Say, Jesus, yes, I want that. Pray something along those lines of yes, and pray a prayer that that Jesus, I'm I'm calling you the Lord Jesus. You're Lord of my life. I am receiving what you did at the cross to take my sin, and I'm receiving this morning your righteousness. You know, if that's you, would you even just put your hand on your chest? No, no one else gets to see it. Just you. Just you, just put your hand on your chest if this is a, a justifying moment. Like, Lord, I know there's a sin problem. I know it's there, and I need you to take my sin, and I, I want to receive your righteousness this morning. I want to be justified. A heartfelt, humble surrender to you. And you just pray those last words this morning. Just pray it from your heart. With your hand on your heart, just say, God, be merciful. Be propitious to me, the sinner. Just save me. And and for those of us that know the Lord, let's put our hand on our heart. You know the Lord? Just put your hand on your heart. Just put your hand on, on your heart. And just thank the Lord. Just thank him for the miracle of justification. Just Thank him for that righteousness that has been freely given to you. That you're right with God because of Christ. You're entering into a new year, not self-righteous, not being better, but just completely standing on the finished work of the cross. Just hand on your heart, just say, thank you, Lord. And that's how we're going to take communion this morning. Guys, go ahead and lead us, and, um, and we're going to invite you to come up. You know, I, I do want to ask, just, just maybe just, just give me one more opportunity. Just bow your heads, just that last moment of prayer here. I do want to ask something when, when our heads are bowed. Just the last ask of the morning. If you're someone that you were praying to be justified this morning, would you let me know? Would you hold your hand up and look up here at me? Because I want to pray over you so powerful that that's happening in your heart today. Yeah, right up here, just, yeah, look up here at me, beautiful. Anyone else, hold your hand up and look up here at me. I want to know who you are. I want to pray for you. You're being justified this morning. That's so powerful, beautiful. Both of you, anyone else, look up here at me and raise your hand up. Just say, Pastor Rob, that's me. Three, four of you in the back, five, yep. Anyone else? Six of you over here, beautiful. Seven. Anyone else? Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. And you raise your hand just in your heart. Just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that, that what Christ did is mine. His righteousness is now my righteousness.
Anyone else? You just look up here at me and raise your hand and say, Rob, I was praying that. I've never known that. I've never known his righteousness is in my account, but I was asking for that this morning. Any, anyone else today, just the last call, you'd look up at me and identify yourself. Yep, beautiful. Thank you for being humble and, and following that. You know, I, I just have, have it in my heart that there might just be someone else. It's huge that you don't shrink back right now. You want that. You prayed it. But now you've got to step out of the shadows and say, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to be identified as Jesus' follower. Beautiful. Eight of you. Anyone else? Is there a last person we're waiting on that you would identify yourself? Beautiful. Yeah, both of you. Lord, thank you so much. Let's just give applause to these. Thank you, Lord. So beautiful to witness. And Lord, we just thank you. Thank you that we don't have resolutions that we're going to, Lord, you'll see. I'm going to be better this year. Thank you, Lord, that we don't relate to you that way. But Lord, thank you that by your spirit, you so graciously, so patiently shape us and make us yours and sanctify us. I think of our church, Lord, how we're all living stones. And, and I just want to pray over every seat. I want to pray over every living stone. I want to pray a prayer of activation going into this year that every living stone would be activated in this church in the year 2024 to be the living stone in this church. Let's stand up. We're going to take communion. You can come up and take the bread and the cup back to your seat. And whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready as we worship, you can just thank God for the body of Jesus, the, the bread, for the cup, which represents the blood. You can just thank God for that substitution. If you raise your hand, by all means, get up and come and take the bread and just thank Jesus that he died for you. Thank him as you take the cup that his blood cleanses you. You can partake together if you're with someone. You can partake alone. You can be led by the Holy Spirit to lean over to someone if God leads you to and just love on them and take with them. But whenever you're ready, Joseph, just close the morning.